So Psalm 88, children's psalms are in the middle of the Bible, more or less. If you get to any of the prophets, you've got names like Isaiah or Jeremiah. You've gone a bit far. But Psalm 88. And children, as I read it, as we read this together, imagine, so this this psalm is written by someone called Heman. Imagine you just asked Heman, how are you doing today? Okay, how are you feeling? This is Heman's answer. Okay, when you see your friends in the morning, you quite often say, don't you, children at school or whatever, um, how are you doing? How are you? This is Heman's answer. Psalm 88. A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah to the choir master, according to Mahalath Leonoth, a masculine of Heman, the Ezraite. O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. And you overwhelm me with all your waves, Salah. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you, Salah? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. How are you doing, Heman? And five minutes later, you're sorry you asked. Uh, This is, says one commentator, the saddest prayer in all the Psalter, in all the book of Psalms. Another writer says, it is one wail of sorrow from beginning to end. Still another, it is a wintry landscape of unrelieved bleakness. And isn't it extraordinary? It's in the Bible. In the book of Psalms, no less, a wintry landscape of unrelieved bleakness. I wonder if you sense that uh, as we read it. Where was the hope? Where was the joy? 
We're used to psalms, perhaps, that, that start off, I feel far from you, Lord, but at some point they turn a corner, they head uphill, out of the valley, into the sunlit upper lands. But not Psalm 88. Psalm 88 begins in darkness and just goes deeper and deeper and deeper. For some of you here this morning, almost certainly, this is where you are at. For some of you, those words will resonate. For some of you, see in Heman a friend, a brother, a companion, a fellow traveller. Finally, someone who knows what it's like. For others, you'll remember times when you were walking in Heman's shoes. Uh, although now the, the rays of the sun have begun to pierce the clouds, you can remember times when this is exactly how you felt, darkness, your closest friend. And, and perhaps for some others, as we read the psalm, you sighed somewhat. Oh no, another whinging prayer, another depressing psalm. Are we meant to rejoice always? Isn't this a bit Old Testament? Can't we press on to the happy stuff? Uh, if that's you, if that's you, I, I want to come back and address some of those objections a bit later in the sermon. But at this stage, let me just tell you a, a very short story. Uh, it is from a, a, a guy, or it's um, told by a guy called Martin Marty. He's the, the commentator who, who described this psalm as a wintry landscape of unrelieved bleakness. Uh, and he, he had a fairly troubled life. I believe he's still alive. His first wife died of cancer. And he speaks about the time when she was going through chemotherapy. He says this, when Elsa would need her chemo medicine in the middle of the night, Marty, as he, would rise with her and they would alternate reading a psalm. She'd read the odd numbers and he the evens. When it came to his turn to read Psalm 88, he passed over it. It's the middle of the night, she's taking chemo medicine. He skips over it. She said, what happened to Psalm 88? He said, I didn't think you could take Psalm 88. It's a bleak psalm. She said to me, more lovingly than the psalms, who do you think you are to decide what I can take? The light ones don't mean anything if you haven't walked through the dark ones. The light ones don't mean anything if you haven't walked through the dark ones. It may be, and praise God if so, that you've not yet walked with Heman through a valley this low, this dark. But brothers and sisters do. I pray God for you, perhaps it will never get this low. But it may do. And so think of this psalm, if you can't resonate, if you don't experience or haven't experienced anything like it yet, think of this psalm as a window, a window into some of your brothers and sisters' souls, because they will walk through this, and a window potentially into your future. I think I might have said before, uh, even preaching here, that the first time I read through the Bible in a year, uh, when I was at university, um, I, I frankly did not like the book of Psalms. I got so fed up with all these laments, and that's because I was... 18, 19, I hadn't really suffered much. And so they didn't really grip me 20, 25 or so years later. Um, it is a life-giving book. So I want to do 
uh, two things ready. First of all, I want to walk through the psalm and try and feel what Heman is feeling. Uh, the psalms are an anatomy of the soul, as is often said. And so we want to walk with him through this long, dark night of the soul. And then once we're out the other side, we'll try and look back at that dark valley and see what it has to teach us about the Christian life and indeed the Lord God himself. So let's walk in Heman's shoes. Where does he go? Uh, first of all, he, he's going down to death. That's the first thing this morning. He's going down to death in verses 1 to 7. Uh, he begins by that confident affirmation, Oh Lord, God of my salvation. This is a believer. We'll return to that. But in verses 3 through 7, he describes this situation. My soul is full of troubles. Children, imagine a, a pot and everything in it is dark and disgusting. My soul is full of troubles. Everywhere I turn is sorrow. My life draws near to Sheol. There's the first step down into this dark dungeon. My life is near. It draws near to Sheol. Now, Sheol is the place of the dead. It's like he's standing on the edge of a grave and just beginning to put one foot in. But on it goes. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. It's not just drawing near the place of the dead. Now I'm like someone who is actually dying. And it may well be that Heman, we don't know many specifics about his situation, but it may well be that he is in some sort of physical pain. Uh, verse 15 tells us, afflicted and close to death from my youth up. Perhaps he has some sort of long, ongoing, besetting illness. Death feels just a hair's breadth away and by the time we get to verse five i'm like one set loose among the dead set loose as in left for dead the way the vikings let loose their dead floating off on those ships or we leave a body in a grave i'm treated like a dead man already like the slain that lie in their grave and still worse than that in the second half of verse five not just am i worried i'm approaching death in fact, am I a dying person? In fact, I'm counted as if I'm dead already. But, do you see, it's like you've forgotten me too. We've all heard stories, haven't we, of Christians on their deathbeds. And almost every time you hear one of those stories from a pulpit, it goes something like this. The old lady was frail and in a lot of pain. And I, the young pastor, said to her, how are you doing, Ethel? And she said, I'm nearly home. I can't wait to get there. They're positive stories. And those are obviously great stories. But that's not He-Man's story, is it? Second half, verse 5. I'm like those who you remember no more and are cut off from your hand. His great fear is not just going to death, but going to death without God's favour. He's going down to death. But you see, the, as he keeps going on, he, he's aware that it's not, just, it's not just something that's happened to him. Fate. Rather, God has been active in all this. Verse 6. You have put me in the depths of the pit. Well, so far, it's all been I. I am counted among those who go down. I am a man who has no strength. But now it's you. You, Lord God, you have put me in the depths of the pit. Imagine, children, I wonder if any of you have done sort of um, activities where you've gone caving. I hate caving. 
once in my life. I absolutely hate it. Going deep down underground, further and further into the cavern on, on a guided party, with one competent caver leading the way. And suddenly, when you're in the depths, he turns the light off. Your torch goes out. And you hear his footsteps retreating. It is pitch black. You can't see your hand in front of your face. Uh, you call out, but there's, there's no answer. You have no idea how to escape. Alone, no one to hear. No escape. Verse 9, I am shut in so I cannot escape. Can you feel how he feels or taste a little of his despair? And God is active in it. You, 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 verse 6, have put me in the depths of the pit. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, verse 7. You overwhelm me with all your waves. Into the beach. Have you ever been to the beach on a kind of windy day and tried to swim? And had that experience of, of a wave knocking you over. And getting so tumbled that you don't know which way up is which way is up and which way is down. You, you, you can't do anything. The might of the sea, the power of the sea is, is far too strong for you. You don't even know which way to swim to get back to the service. You're totally helpless in the power of the sea. That's me, says Heman, to God. And you are doing it. It is not blind forces of nature. It is not Satan. It is not evil people. You are doing it to me. It's an extraordinary psalm, isn't it? He recognises God is, after all, sovereign. Down he goes to death. Life is a living death for Heman. But then secondly, he's also cut off from all companionship. Verses 8 and 9. 8. You have caused my companions to shun me. You made me a horror, an abomination to them. Many things you can get through in life, can't you? As long as someone is with you, someone is supporting you. Even if you get bad news, to have someone walking alongside you means everything. Heman isn't just lonely, he's abandoned. It's not that he's never had friends, he's had companions, but now they have shunned him, turned their back on him. They're horrified by him. Again, we don't know the specifics, but you can imagine it, can't you? Heman, you're meant to be a believer. Rejoice always. What are you doing? Heman, be strong in the Lord and in his might. And eventually, having told him once, twice, three times to cheer up, they're gone. Not just they're gone, they're repulsed by him. And so his eyes grow dim with sorrow. He's going down to death. He's cut off from companionship. And perhaps most horrifying of all for Heman, he's forsaken by the Father. The second half of verses 9, right through to the end of the psalm. Forsaken by the Father, forsaken by God, in other words. He is a praying man, isn't he? Every day I call out to you, Lord, verse 9. I spread out my hands to you, children. That means I'm, I'm trying to pray to you. In fact, all the way through the psalm, it's clear he is a praying man. Verse 1, O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Day and night not even 30 seconds snatched in the morning while he's having his cornflakes or, or, or having a shower day and night I cry out to you for relief verse 9 I spread my hands every day I call upon you day and night every day and then verse 13 
In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Three times he makes clear, I am praying to you, Lord, I'm praying. But what is the answer? Seemingly nothing. Heaven is silent. As if heaven's doors are cast iron, cold, hard, and slammed in his face. There is no sense of God's love, no comfort from his presence, no obvious answer to his prayers. Uh, His questions in in verses 10 through 12, which we're not going to spend too much time on today, that they all imply the answer, no. Essentially, are are you to be praised among the dead? And that's where I'm going. No. I'm heading towards that realm where you're not praised, the realm of death. I'm abandoned by you. And that becomes even clearer in verses 13 and 14. Again, the prayer. My prayer comes before you in the morning. But verse 14, you cast my soul away. It's an agonized question, in fact. Why? Why do you cast my soul away? Why would God not answer his prayers? The God who is good and loving, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving sin. Why would you not answer my prayers? Again, are you beginning to empathize with Heman a bit? Why would you not heal if you're the God of life? Why would my wife or my child suffer like this? Why would you not step in and save? Why would you not make my friend a Christian? Why would you not remove me as your son or daughter from this kind of suffering? No answer. In fact, God hides his face casts his soul away. Isn't that strong language, verse 14? Heman feels like not only is God not listening, but he is, as it were, shoving him away, casting his soul away. The more Heman cries, the louder the silence echoes. No warming fire of God's love. No comforting sense of his presence. It is inner darkness a phrase that used to get used more than it does nowadays, I suspect, to describe human's experience is the long, dark night of the soul. You know that expression? It used to be very popular. The long, dark night of the soul. It speaks of that, that inner darkness. There's plenty in the Bible, isn't there, about outward suffering, illness, persecution. But, but this is something almost deeper, a blacker darkness. You could feel, or rather you feel that you could cope with almost anything as long as you have this burning sense that God loves you, that he's with you, that you're on the journey to heaven. But that itself has been extinguished. That light has been snuffed out in Heman. This is desertion as it feels to him. Uh, Children, I know some of you are reading... As command. By the way, can I just say, because a couple of you have said this to me recently. When I say children, I am talking to children. I know everyone else can hear me as well. Some people thought it was my way of addressing the church, uh, which is very sweet. Um, but uh, I do mean, when I say children, I do mean children. Um, children. Uh, I know some of you are reading Harry Potter. And I'm going to be very careful not to give away any kind of twists and turns. But there is a prison, yeah. There's a prison in Harry Potter called Azkaban. And J.K. Rowling, the author, describes the prison like this. They don't need walls and water to keep the prisoners in. Not when they're trapped inside their own heads, 
incapable of a single cheerful thought. That's the horror of Azkaban. They have these creatures that suck out any happy thoughts. They don't need walls and water to keep the prisoners in, not when they're trapped inside their own heads, incapable of a single cheerful thought. Heman is on Azkaban. There is no happiness. And he knows these terrors come from God as we finish the psalm off, verses 15 through 17. Look at verse 15. Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. Your terrors. Not Satan's terrors. Not the terrors of the Philistines. The Egyptians. Your terrors. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. Destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me altogether. Heman is not going to be comforted with Phobos. It's not God, it's the devil. It's not God, it's you. No, your assaults. And the whole psalm ends the last word. Darkness. Darkness. He's descending to death. And he knows it. Uh, He's cut off from his companions and he's forsaken, at least as he feels it, forsaken by the Father. What do we do with that? What do we do with that? Obsessed four things for us. The first is we must recognize this is a prayer of a real believer, a real believer. Three things make that obvious. First of all, it's a psalm. Okay. So it's written by Heman and the Holy Spirit. It's in Scripture. Uh, Paul tells us in the New Testament to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Okay, that the psalms are not the songbook of the Old Testament that we're now to leave in the cupboard or, or leave for the Jews in the synagogue. No, it is our songbook as Christians. These are spiritual prayers to be prayed. It's why we often pray them together. That's the first clue. It is a psalm. Secondly, it's obviously a prayer. He is praying. We've seen this three times. We're told very clearly he is praying. Heman is a believer. He is someone going to heaven, to put it bluntly. But I want to look a little bit about Heman himself. Look a little bit more closely at Heman himself. You see in the, um, they're called the superscription. It's often in different type above the psalm. It's, it's before Psalm verse 1. Children, it's a strange thing in the psalms, but the... Uh, the writing, often in small letters above the psalm, is part of the Bible. Uh, often your version will, the editors will have given it a title. So in mine, it call, it's called, I cry out day and night before you. That's not in the Bible. But the little bit in little writing, that is part of the scriptures. The bit that begins a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Heman is one of the sons of Korah. And actually, they write a good number of the psalms. Beginning at Psalm 42, um, and then through to Psalm 88. They don't write all the ones from there, from 42 to 88, but a good number of them from 42 to 88. And we know a little bit about Heman. I don't normally like doing too much kind of jinking around the Bible, but I think it's worth it this, uh, on this occasion. Uh, you don't need to turn to, to 1 Kings, but in 1 Kings 4, we're told that Solomon's wisdom was greater even than Heman's. Now, 
If the Bible writer bothered to say Solomon, King Solomon, the wisest king ever, was even wiser than Heman, he's not going to say that if Heman was a, you know, a total idiot, is he? <laughs> Heman is clearly a wise man. And we know more. Have a look at 1 Chronicles 15. Let me say, have a look at 1 Chronicles. You see the panic across the congregation. Where's 1 Chronicles? You have to go back in your Bibles. So it's after the book of Kings. And earlier than we are in... Uh, uh, than we are in, um, in Psalms. 1 Chronicles 15. And we meet this man. 1 Chronicles 15. And verse 17. 1 Chronicles 15, verse 17. So the Levites, that's the, the tribe of priests, okay, the, the tribe who lead the worship of Israel. The Levites appointed Heman, the son of Joel, and a bunch of his brothers. Uh, what to do? Well, verse 19. The singers, Heman, Asaph, and Ethan, were to sound bronze cymbals. Heman is one of the musicians at the temple. He's, he's one of the sort of worship leaders, if you like, at, at the temple. Uh, he's there to lead the praise. And so in chapter 16, given it's uh, just next door, uh, what do we see in verses 41 and verse 42? There's great worship service going on. Verse 41, with them were Heman and Jeduthun and the rest of those chosen and expressly named to give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Heman is expressly named as one meant to be leading them in giving thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. He is there with his cymbals and whatever else they have, trumpets. The Lord is good. Give thanks to the Lord. His steadfast love endures forever. He's there on stage as it were. Leading God's people in worship. And in fact, even more than that last one, chapter 25 of 1 Chronicles. Chapter 25 and verse 1. Chapter 25, verse 1. David and the chiefs of the service also set apart for the service of the sons of Asaph and of Heman, of Jedathan, who prophesied with lyres, harps, and cymbals. He is a prophet. A seer. Uh, in fact, indeed, in verse 5, the sons of Heman, the king's seer. He's a prophet. See, this man, the reason we've done that kind of digging into some slightly obscure books of the Old Testament, is to show this man, he, he's not an unbeliever. He's not an Egyptian or something, an enemy of God's people. He is not just a believer, but a mature believer. He's at the centre of the worship of God's people. Leading them, a prophet indeed. Come back if you've left it to Psalm 88. We are all so different. Every disciple in this room is different from the person sat next to her. And our journeys are so different too. The shape of your soul, if I can put it that way, is just different to the person sat next to you. The journey that God is leading you on back to his heavenly kingdom is a somewhat different path than anyone else will walk. 
And we need to understand that, first of all, if we're going to understand ourselves. If we think there is only one type, as if God made everybody with one mould. Children, I wonder if you've got those kind of plasticine moulds like my children, where you kind of shove the mould onto the, the piece of plasticine and out comes the starfish or whatever. And it's always the same every time because there's only one mould. Bang, starfish, identical starfish. Christians aren't like that. Your souls are not like that. There is not one soul-making machine in heaven that, I don't know, Gabriel uses to pump out identical souls as if we're all Barbies and Kens. We are different in our emotions, in our psyches. We need to understand that about ourselves and if we're going to care well for brothers and sisters. He-mans need to be able to thrive at Christchurch Central as much as his brother Ethan. You see Psalm 89? A masculine of Ethan the Ezraite. And straight away I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. Ethan's the guy to hang out with, not He-man. But no, He-man and Ethan. Both believers, both leaders of worship, both writers of Holy Scripture, but very different life stories. This is a prayer of a real believer. Do you have space for it? His suffering even seems to have been very long term. Verse 15, from youth upwards I suffer your terrors. This doesn't seem to be a bad day for Heman, but rather a long, long journey. First, it's a prayer of a real believer. More briefly. Secondly, believers can feel helpless and hopeless. It's the obvious workout of the fact that Heman is a real believer. Believers, real believers can feel helpless and hopeless. Along with Psalm 39, this is the only psalm that never has that, that uptick at the end. Okay, every other lament in the Bible at some point has a, a corner turn. But I will again praise you. Not Psalm 88. And indeed not Psalm 39. Again, just keep your finger in 88. But Psalm 42, the first of those songs of the sons of Korah. Usually in the Bible when there's a lament, one of three things happens. The, the, the believer looks in one of three directions. Uh, sometimes they look back to be comforted. So after their cry, I feel far from you, they look back. So Psalm 42, he feels far from God, my soul first for the living God. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. But what does he do? Verse 4, he looks back. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with shouts and songs of praise. And that kind of picks him up. He looks back, but Psalm 88... As he looks back, we've seen it already, from my youth, nothing but your terrors. He looks back and there's just darkness. At other times, they look up. So again, in Psalm 42, uh, in verse 5, Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. My salvation, my God. He looks up. Uh, you get it again in verse 8. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love. I see his love. Very common. If they don't look back, they look up and say, well, okay, but you are good and loving. What is Heman in Psalm 88? He looks up. And what does he see? Your terrors. He sees God's face turned away. No comfort there. And then finally, sometimes they look forward. They lament, but look forward. I will again praise you. Again, it's there in the first of the, the, the Korite Psalms. Psalm 42 uh, verse 11, 
I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Heman looks forward. And the last word is darkness. Believers can feel helpless and hopeless. Real believers, that is. Now, if we were to stop there, everything we've said would be true and I hope helpful. But I want to say two last things. Two last things. By way of encouragement, particularly if you really are resonating with Heman. The first is this. God welcomes our honest prayers. That's the most obvious thing from the psalm, isn't it? God welcomes this kind of honest pouring out of the heart. Where are you, Lord? It's not impious language or improper language or unholy language or sub-Christian language. You can pray every word of Psalm 88. Or you can turn them into your own words. Psalm 62 encourages us to pour out our heart to God. That's his invitation. Don't ever feel you need to tidy yourself up emotionally, mentally, spiritually before coming to pray. Speak to him like Heman does. That is faith in action. It's going to do you far more damage to hide it from him. Where are you going to find help and strength if not from him? God welcomes these kind of prayers because he is a gracious, compassionate God. And even when you don't feel that, it remains true. His arms are there wide for you, even when you do not see it. And that leads to the final thing, which is God never finally abandons a child. God never finally abandons a child. This is the point I want to add on. Uh, when I was at, at school, we used to have a, a, a headmaster from the school down the road come about twice a term to do assemblies for us. And we always used to joke about it. I'd have been about seven or eight at the time, so very you know, immature. Uh, we always used to joke about him. He always seemed to tell the same story, and it stuck with me. And I've no idea what he told the story. I can't remember what his point was. But it's a story about a Cherokee, so a Native American tribe, and about a young boy going through the trials coming to, to adulthood. And so the story went. Uh, the father, who was the chief of the tribe, took his son uh, one evening, sat him on a, on a stump, a tree stump, blindfolded him and told him he must sit there without moving, without removing the blindfold all night. And only if he did so, without flinching, would he become a man and a member of the tribe. Well, the son sits there uh, and darkness falls. He can feel the, the cold close in. To start with, he's fine. And then he starts hearing what he thinks are animal noises, but he can't look to see. They seem to get closer and closer, but he knows he cannot move. He begins to wonder if they're not so much animals as the footsteps of enemy tribes coming to claim a young scalp to cut off a future warrior before his prime. But he cannot move. He cannot see. He cannot cry out for help. He is helpless, blind and in the dark. Uh, eventually dawn breaks and the Cherokee boy is still alive uh, and as the sun's rays begin to warm him he knows he's allowed to remove his blindfold he does so and finds that his father has been sat opposite him all night I don't know why Mr Chisholm came and kept telling us that story but I do know it is a great picture of the reality of he man's life and perhaps your life and mine 
there is a very great difference between feeling you are utterly abandoned by God and being utterly abandoned by God. That Cherokee boy was safe as safe could be. His father would not let him perish. And that ultimately is the promise of the gospel. In the Church of England, they allot different psalms to every day of the, the week. And Psalm 88 is to be read on Good Friday. Do you remember what happened on Good Friday, children? It's the day Jesus died. And that, that is a brilliant choice. Ultimately, it was Jesus who felt God's terrors to a greater degree than us. Jesus who went into the darkness. Jesus who was assaulted. Jesus on whom God's wrath was poured. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was Jesus fully forsaken? Well, he was in terms of any joy or comfort. He sensed no joy or comfort from his father anymore. But of course, God ultimately still delighted in him. Jesus said as much. This is why the father loves me. I lay down my life. Did God the father still love Jesus as he died? Yes. Could Jesus sense that in any way? No. And you may walk a similar path, although never to the depths that Christ did. And in fact, the fact that he went deeper and he really bore God's wrath at your sin means that ultimately you cannot be cut off. Whatever the sense, whatever the feeling, whatever the path, whatever the emotional shape of your soul and journey, you cannot be cut off ultimately from heaven and eternal joy. Because that punishment has been borne. Michael Wilcock says this, his dark, this darkness can happen to a believer, this psalm says. It doesn't mean you're lost. This darkness can happen to someone who does not deserve it. After all, it happened to Jesus. This doesn't mean you've strayed. This darkness can happen at any time as long as this world lasts, because only in the next world will such things be done away with. This darkness can happen without you knowing why, but there are answers. There is a purpose, and eventually you will know it. However low you go... You will find Jesus there. However deep the darkness, he has gone deeper, further down. He understands. He's entered into a darkness you cannot imagine. In fact, your darkness, your anxiety, your depression, your terrors are in part a tiny window into what he has gone through. His turmoil of soul, out of love for you, in order that your terrors might be temporary and not eternal. To ensure, in other words that he has absorbed all the darkness in order that you might be welcomed into that kingdom of light. Psalm 88 tells us some of us might have to wait till our deathbeds or the moment after until we really feel that joy. But the gospel guarantees that you will get there, that you will one day sing the first line of Psalm 89, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever.